Good evening. This is Avi Bernard. Very happy I am to be back in the United States and back on the network. Even for so short a visit as this one. A lot of people asked us to do it again, so it's gratifying to get the chance now. Personally, I've never met anybody who didn't like KBLA Talk 1580. But it seems I do have a reputation for the uncanny. I'm an overpaid producer with pleasant reasons to rejoice, and I do. But surely my right to having more than enough is cancelled if I don't use that more to help those who have less. We must each day earn what we own. A healthy man owes to the sick all that he can do for them. An educated man owes to the ignorant all that he can do for them. A free man owes to the world's slaves all that he can do for them. If we can't die in behalf of progress, we can live for it. If we waste that gift, we won't have anywhere to hide from the indignation of history. This is the Friday edition of Ariva Martin in Real Time with Avi Bernard. We did it. We did it, Joe. The dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. The cry for racial justice, some 400 years in the making, moves us. The dream of justice for all will be deferred no longer. Friday edition of Ariva Martin in Real Time. I'm Avi Bernard. So glad to be with you. Let me get you caught up. Students at Florida public schools will now learn that black people benefited from slavery because it taught them skills. This change is part of the African American history standards the State Board of Education approved at a meeting Wednesday. The public testimony period lasted over an hour with most of the people in attendance objecting to the adoption of the standard. Paul Burns, the chancellor of K-12 public schools, who is black, defended the standards, denying that they referred to slavery as beneficial. Burns said, quote, Our standards are factual, objective standards that really teach the good, the bad, and the ugly. Close quote. Tell me, Paul, what was the good part about slavery? Jaguars assistant strength and conditioning coach Kevin Maxson has become the first male coach in major American men's professional sports to publicly come out as gay, telling Outsports.com he made the decision because he didn't want to hide who he is any longer and to possibly inspire others in similar situations. It's a decision and move that drew praise and support from Jaguars owner Shad Khan, who, had, who was a vocal and emphatic supporter of a city ordinance that expanded protections on the grounds of sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. Tony Bennett, one of the most beloved and recognizable voices in the history of American music, died today at 96, less than two weeks shy of his 97th birthday. Bennett died in his hometown of New York. A cause was not immediately disclosed. In an era when most white entertainers stayed on the sidelines, Bennett marched for racial equality and resisted apartheid when artist and activist Harry Belafonte called Bennett and asked him to join the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.'s voting rights march from Selma to Montgomery in 1965. Bennett accepted without hesitation. In recent years, even as his velvety voice found resonance with a new generation, he privately faced a cognitive disorder. In February 2021, his family said in AARP magazine that Bennett had Alzheimer's for the previous five years, even though he still managed to record more music. Bennett won 20 Grammys and two Emmys over the course of his 70-year career. 
The on-again, off-again standoff between two Senate centrists, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, and the Democratic coalition is back on. The two appear to be tanking Bernie Sanders' preferred pick for Labor Secretary Julie Sue. Sanders called for liberal primary challenges to both senators last year, but has taken a more hands-off approach to Sinema and Manchin in recent months. Manchin is flirting with the third-party presidential bid that many Democrats fear could derail Biden's re-election while savaging the administration's environmental policies and routinely voting against Biden's nominees. Cinema has angered progressives on multiple occasions in the past, including her positions on taxes, minimum wage, and the filibuster. Cinema left the party and became an independent last year. Georgia State Rep. Misha Maynor is one of the newest members of the GOP. It's a trailblazing feat, making her the first black Republican woman to ever serve in Georgia's state legislature. Maynor was first elected in 2020 to Deep Blue Fulton County. It's such a Democratic stronghold that she ran unopposed in the last two general election cycles. But that's not going to happen next year. Even before her party switch, Democrats were already making moves to pry the seat away from her. And President Joe Biden will meet with the CEOs and presidents of seven of the largest AI tech companies today to mark a non-binding agreement that will govern how artificial intelligence is developed and released to the public. Amazon, Anthropic, Google, Inflection, Meta, Microsoft and OpenAI all agreed to a set of eight rules today, which include external testing for AI systems before their release, investing in cybersecurity protection for unreleased models, and using a watermarking system for AI-generated content. Coming up this hour, we're going to break down a lot of the stories we just talked about. And in hour number two... We're going to have L.A. Times columnist Erica Smith join us to talk about her article asking whether it's the beginning of the end for Black Lives Matter. And we're also going to give you a breakdown of the Women's World Cup. Now, now I know what you're thinking. Do black people care about soccer? The answer, in many cases, is probably no. But I'm going to tell you why we should care about it in hour number two. We're going to get into all those things when we come forward right here on KBLA Talk 1580. And it's the Friday edition of Ariva Martin in real time. Avi Bernard with you. 800-920-1580 is the number to call. That's 800-920-1580 is the number to call if you want to be involved in the conversation, whether you have a question or a comment. I am being joined, as always, around this time by one of my favorite contributors. He is Chris Walton, former chair of the Democratic Party of Milwaukee County. Chris, thanks for joining. hope you're feeling better. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. I want to start with this article that you sent me during the week that just had me face palming immediately. And it's, of course, none other than Florida. Students at... Uh, Florida public schools will now learn that black people benefited from slavery because it taught them skills. This change is part of the African-American history standards the State Board of Education approved at a Wednesday meeting. So I want to just get your your top line thoughts to this 
latest egregious example of racism in Florida education? Florida, Florida, Florida. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm shocked and I'm appalled and I'm astonished that this level of crap can really continue on in a state where this is like the third largest state in the country. And, and with a black population as large as it has, at, at, like, at what point will the people of Florida stand up and say, this is enough? Like, we're tired of being embarrassed. We're tired of all the memes of Bugs Bunny cutting the state off of the country and letting it flow to the Caribbean. <laughs> like, this is enough. We can't keep doing this. The fact that you have a legisl- an elected body of people voting, including a black superintendent, basically, agreeing that slavery was a good thing for black people. What do you, what goes through your mind? What are you thinking to even allow that to even first come out your mouth as a, as a sentence of fact in your head, but to even think that that is the case? This is it's mind-boggling. It's, the, it's gaslighting at its finest, and its ignorance is appalling and atrocious. And I, I just don't know how Florida keeps, how do you keep letting this happen to you? You know, I'm glad you mentioned the superintendent. You know, the Paul Burns, the chancellor of K-12 public schools in Florida, he, he's a black dude. And he said that our standards are factual, objective standards that really teach the good, the bad, and the ugly. I, I just want someone to explain to me what part about slavery was good. There was no the good, the bad, and the ugly of slavery. There was the bad and the ugly. It was bad and ugly, 100%. What was good about it? I, I, I'm not exactly sure how a black person could even say that, but do you have any ideas, Chris? I, I, well, let me see. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and put my brain into this. And, and basically, I'm going to turn my brain off for a second and, let, and try to focus in on Clarence Thomas and try to figure out how I can make this <laughs> Maybe they got outside, they got a lot of air and exercise outside, maybe? I don't get to see parts of the world they may have never been to. I don't, I, 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 I'm struggling here. Yeah. This is, this is, it's foolishness. You can't, you can't even fathom this level of insanity. Like, it's just, you're just dumb at this point. Just admit you're dumb, understand it, and try to do better with it. And so you mentioned that there are a lot of black people in Florida, and it's it's frustrating because Florida was once upon a time a very, very purple state. I don't remember if Obama won it twice. I know he won it at least once. Yeah. He won it back-to-back. Back. He won it back-to-back. Back. Yeah, exactly. So, and then, and now it's it's like more red than... Georgia, it's more red than Ohio. It's it's super red now. Right. I mean, Democrats are getting mopped up in statewide races. So what changed in Florida and how do we change it back? If I knew this, I'd be hired on the Biden campaign <laughs> and I'd be probably DNC chair. But I I don't I I think you have to start completely from scratch. What is it that makes the average Florida voter <laughs> move in your direction. 
Mm. And at this point, honestly, do you really want to be where the average Florida voter is? And I think it's a, it's a lot of people who just are not turning out in Florida anymore. And the fact that so many people from around the country are moving to Florida who are just conservative voters as is. Mm. You know, they're they're bringing in a lot of Republicans to move into Florida because this is where they retired. This is Republican heaven. Hell, Texas even isn't as Republican anymore compared to Florida. Like they're moving, to, everybody's moving to Florida and making Florida that much more Republican. So at this point, I think honestly, you just either you write it off and start all the money you would spend in Florida, you put it in Texas. Wow, you I think, don't know. You think maybe that we should just abandon Florida as Democrats altogether? If they're going to keep putting out stuff like this at this point, I think you got to start contemplating that. Yeah, it's starting to look like Alabama East. Yeah. <laughs> or worse. Right, right. Wow, man. Unbelievable. This story is unbelievable. Uh, and now, uh, I do want to welcome Fahima to the show. Now, Fahima, we're supposed to be talking about soccer in the second hour, but I want to let you get your thought out while, since you've been on hold. Oh, thank you, RV, for um, taking my call. Um, I'm not going to comment on the current topic, cause I, although I do have strong feelings about it. But I just wanted to say, and I'm going to tweet you the article, um, there's a gentleman who just signed a billion-dollar contract to play soccer. He's of African descent, and he's in France. His name is uh, Christian Ronaldo. And I'll just because you said, do African Americans care about do you, soccer? Do you mean Cristiano Ronaldo? Yes, yes, mm. Cristiano Ronaldo, a billion dollars. Yeah, he's and from Portugal. So, uh, he okay. He's from what I understand, he's a, he's of African descent. He, he might be he's, of African descent somewhere down the line, but he's he's certainly Portuguese. He might he might have yeah, well, he might have some percent some percent of African American well, in him. The Portuguese colonized different mm-hmm. parts of the world, the Spanish and the. That's how you have many of us in South America. Yeah, yeah, sure, but sure. I'm just saying, his like he doesn't look like a black dude. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, he. I'm sure he has some, he has some African in him somewhere. I'm just saying, but he, you know, I'm just letting you know. Well, I know who well, that is, and he's he's not. Okay, okay not but my point dude. was, my point was that African Americans are black, but all black people are not African American. Mm-hmm. That's right. That was my point. That's all right. right. That's, Absolutely. That's, oh, can you ask your guest? They wrote the article about BLM. Did the editor select the title for her article, or did she do so? Could you ask me her that for me, please? I will try to remember to ask her that for you. If not, then just uh, send me a message um, in, the, in, 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 in the YouTube chat. Put, yeah, do that. I'll put it in chat. Thank you. All right, thanks, Vima. Thanks for the call. And so when I say do black people care about soccer, I'm talking about American black people. Of course, Africans love soccer. Ghana is a, is a great soccer nation, Nigeria. Ghana did really well in, in the past in this past uh, men's World Cup, and now we're getting ready to start the the uh, women's World Cup. Uh, it actually started yesterday, and, and uh, the U.S. women's national team has their first match tonight. But we'll talk about that in hour number two. All right, Chris. So I want to talk to you about. Uh, I'm not sure if you're a sports fan. Speaking of football, American or otherwise, this is American mm-hmm. football we're talking about now. Uh, in the Jacksonville Jaguars, assistant strength coach. Assistant strength and conditioning coach Kevin Maxson has become the first male coach in major American men's professional sports to pub- publicly come out as gay. The right. first man, the first man in any major American sport, 
not just football, basketball, baseball, hockey. Those are the four major sports in, in the United States. And right. no coach has ever come out as gay in the history of all these sports. It, I mean, that's, that's a shocking stat just in, in and of itself because obviously there have been gay people in those sports. And all of, them, all of them until now have felt like they could not come out. Uh, what, what did you think when you saw this? I thought it was, you know, it's a step forward. It's progress. Um, we all we all know that there have been members of the LGBT community throughout all of major league sports. You just do the numbers. If about 10% of the population is gay or lesbian or bi or trans, um, and you got about a few hundred thousand people, a few thousand people in all these professional sports, there are at least a hundred or so <laughs> members mm-hmm. of the community. Yeah. And it's just a, it's just time. Honestly, there again. Obviously, there are members of the community within the major leagues. The fact that they now mm-hmm. feel comfortable, they feel embraced and and loved and cared for, that they can actually come out. Um, I love one of the things that I love most about the story was the fact that, you know, he's been, he's been with his partner for two years. And he's like, I'm not going to hide him anymore. Mm. You know, it's a beautiful thing when you actually have somebody who you love as much as you love them, and they're willing to walk out with you together. And say no, we're here. This is this is who I love. Mistreat him, and you're gonna deal with me. And so I, I, I'm very happy that for him. I love the fact that he's able to do this, and he has somebody standing there by his side. Yeah, no, it is it is a, a really important step, and it, it is it's sad that it's it's only happening now, but I'm glad that it is finally happening. And I, I just. I just know that, you know, I think this is going to have a big impact on a lot of people in, ma- in making their decision. And, and like you said, he's had a partner for two years. And just imagine having someone who, like, you're all about, they're all about you, and you can't even tell anybody because you're afraid that you're going to lose your job. I mean, that's, right. just, that's just insane. And this makes me think about, you know, I'm not sure if you're a fan of the show Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, it's a show about... Uh, European football, uh, soccer, right. um, and there's an American um, football coach who goes over there to coach soccer, and and so I'm not going to give anybody any spoilers, but in season three, uh, there it turns out that one of the members of the team is gay, and he obviously has been dealing with it his whole life, and and he's a, he's a, a excellent professional soccer player, and or footballer uh, in, in European speak. Um, and and he he kind of gets discovered, but then, you know, the support that he gets from his teammates is just, it really, it's really heartwarming. And so if you haven't seen Ted Lasso, first of all, you're just missing out in general. And I recommend you start out uh, from season one and, and work your way through. It's only three seasons and, and the episodes are only 30 minutes or so, but um season three i mean that that episode i I just love that episode and it's it's really heartwarming and and he says at one point you know i just want to be able to to kiss my fella the way all the other guys kiss their women after the after the match and i mean it's really i don't see what's complicated about that you know uh, for for everyone else to understand you know and and as, as a gay man myself i've definitely seen and experienced this um, even growing up and coming out with my own family and my, and just trying to figure out my own space in the world. But I want to take one thing back to what you said. Mm-hmm. 
how, you know, he, you're afraid you're going to lose your job. Mm-hmm. Throughout this country still to this day, there are states where you could get married on Saturday, go on your honeymoon and come back on, on Monday, lose your job on Monday, lose your house on Tuesday because you're gay. Where's the fairness in that? I I don't understand it. I don't. Obviously, I don't subscribe to that, and I have luck, been lucky never to have faced that level of adversity. But there are many people who do. Many people in a, a Florida, a Texas, where you know a state where you have a don't say gay bill. Mm. Places where many people once who again, don't feel once again safe. in Florida, in Florida, 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 mm-hmm. and you know people who are just living their lives. They're normal people just like you. They want to go home at night and love somebody. They want to go to have that awkward moment at Thanksgiving when you bring someone home for the first time. <laughs> you know, people get so hooked up on 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 the LGBT community and, and sex and y'all be you'd be real surprised that we're not doing anything more than you all are doing, honestly. Mm-hmm. And, and and why are you so worried about what the hell we're doing? <laughs> that's what always that's what always gets me. Like, why do you care so much? What is the issue? What do you care what someone else is doing? What what's the problem with what they're doing? How does it affect you? That's what I don't. I've never right. understood about people who hate gay people just for the sake of hating gay people. Like, what's the what's the deal? And there seems to be a an entire school of thought right now of well, what it's my right to protect my kids. Or it's my right to ban this. Well, what about my rights? Now, in America, where I grew up, there was a point where your rights end where my rights begin. That was at least the understanding that I was taught. You know, I have the right to freedom of speech. What about what about my right to read books that I want to read in school? What about my right to live and enjoy my pursuit of happiness? Mm-hmm. It's not just about you and what you think is acceptable. I have rights, too. What if I'm not even a Christian? I, why do I have to live? I have to live to your moral code. Yeah, in and, a free nation where we don't endorse any single religion, but you have the right to to serve whatever religion you would like to be part of. Yep, and that's this is that's why conservatives they cherry pick which parts of the Constitution they want to uphold. It's, it's very clearly says a separation of church and state, but they don't want to hear that part. They will, they want to talk about Second Amendment, Second Amendment. But when it comes to Thirteenth Amendment or separation of church and state, then oh no nah, no nah, we we don't we uh what did that say I don't remember that part, you know right and so it is it is just um and that whole and what you what you mentioned about uh well, I'm trying to protect my kids that that that, that just bothers me so much they're you know gay people are not pedophiles it's, it's, it's you're not a, attracted to children just because you're gay you're attracted to the same sex it's not the same thing and and kids not seeing kids seeing gay couples is not going to make them gay because if that were the case then gay people seeing heterosexual couples exclusively on tv for the entire history of television up until recently then that would have made them straight it's just i've seen a lot i've I've seen a lot of straight couples in my life my parents my aunt uncle my great aunt and uncles my cousins Mm -hmm. friends it, it still don't appear to me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not how it's not how it works. It's not how it works. But when we come forward, though, we're gonna gonna talk about uh, a a Republican turned Democrat. Uh, I'm sorry, a Democrat turned Republican. Oosh. And also, we're gonna get into what in the white entitlement right after this news, traffic, and sports update on KBLA Talk 1580. 
This is the Friday edition of Ariva Martin in Real Time. Avi Bernard joined by Chris Walton, the former chair of the Democratic Party of Milwaukee County. All right, Chris, I want to talk to you about this Misha Maynard person. So mm-hmm. Misha well, is a state rep in Georgia, and she was elected in super blue district in, uh, in Fulton County. So blue that she ran unopposed in her uh in her first uh two elections and in in 2020 in 2022 and now she she decided to switch parties to the gop so that's already Mm -hmm. that's already weird all right the first uh black woman to serve in the georgia state legislature that's already weird that she's switching parties but really stood out to me in this article is something is a, a couple of things that she said that don't seem quite believable to me. She said in the 10 days since she abandoned her party affiliation with the Democrats, she says that her blood pressure has dropped to levels not seen since her college days at Howard University in the 1990s. That's the first thing I want to discuss because you mean to tell me that <laughs> <laughs> now that you have switched over to the GOP, your your blood pressure has your high blood pressure has just instantly been cured because you feel what uh less pressure you feel safer with the party that has never had a black woman representative in your state okay all right she also said that she has um you know she has shed light on vile, hateful, and racist messages she's received since switching parties, including several that refer to her as the N-word, that I can believe there are racist Democrats, I'm sure. But the second part of that is she maintains those messages aren't coming from her constituents who she says still support her. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you mean to tell me that you ran unopposed as a Democrat in deep blue Georgia, and you're going to switch to a Republican, you're going to to you're gonna switch to the GOP and now give that seat to them and your constituents are gonna be cool with that? Come on now, Misha. Come right. on now, Misha. That is the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Your your constituents are cool with it. I mean Lord Jesus. What are your thoughts on this, Chris? Well, I hope she's taking a lot of pictures and stuff and enjoying her time in the sun. Uh <laughs> I don't foresee her. Uh, she, she's not long for this political world. <laughs> it is not going to last for her. It does not. It that does not bode well. You are sitting in a D plus ninety seat. Oh my god! Like, let me get some context. When I say D plus ninety, that means in a fifty-fifty race, the Democrat. Is going to win by ninety. It all of the everything is equal. Same amount of money, same amount of staff, same amount of everything. Wow. And you're gonna run as a Republican in that seat? Well, I wish you glad tidings. <laughs> uh, of course, we will. We will look forward to getting that seat back uh, next November. So she will be there to make all kind of of a mess of herself. But you know what? You know what? everybody has the right to do that. I I wouldn't recommend it. But you know, I'm in I'm not in no position to give recommendations to Republicans. So good luck. But there is a thing happening right now of people going through the state legislatures and switching parties. It happened in North Carolina, where now Republicans have a supermajority where they can overturn 
uh, the governor, the governor's veto mm. in the state of North Carolina, which is allowing them to run roughshod over removing voting rights and removing reproductive rights. And in the state of Texas, the same thing happened. In Oklahoma, it's happened all across the South, where people are giving, literally, you don't align where for the seat that you ran for. And that's okay. We got Joe Manchin. The Democrats are a big tent party. We take everybody. We are not one one band, one style. Right. It's our advantage and it is our our disadvantage at the same time. But what you're doing is literally allowing people you're joining in to allow somebody to have the right to take away their rights. The, your district voted for you to not allow this to happen. That's why they voted for you. You got elected twice unopposed because they wanted you to stand up for them. Obviously, you had other ideas. You don't agree with this, and you don't stand with your own people. So therefore, you should face your people and be removed because you don't agree with them. And I'm sure that this coming November, all those people who decide to switch sides after the election, they will meet their political maker, the people, and the decisions will be made from there. Yeah, I mean, it's just fascinating because she must really be a Republican if she has reached this level of delusion. I mean, you think that you're going to get elected next year? You think that your constituents, number one, are going to be okay with the switch, and number two, are going to think, you know what, I really like Misha. She's a Republican now, so I, but, but I really like her, so I'm going to vote for her. And in a, in a seat where a, a Democrat is going to win by 90 in, in an average election, that she's going to have that much sway, people like her that much, to where they're going to just vote for her again? Yeah, that she she must be a Republican now because yeah, you 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 if you're gonna believe that, then I got some beach property to sell you in Idaho, like like my man Frank Ocean. All right, so huge oceanfront property. Yeah, I've been right. there. I've seen <laughs> exactly. All right, so let's um, speaking of people who switch parties, let's talk about uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. So Joe Manchin hasn't switched parties. He's always been a mm-hmm. very centrist Democrat. And right. uh, but Kirsten Cinema did switch parties. Uh, she or she left the Democratic Party to become an independent. And so th- this is. I wanted to talk about this this story because it's it's obviously Joe Manchin is, is incredibly frustrating. Right. But he's in West Virginia, and ain't no other Democrat winning that seat. And mm-hmm. so when when Bernie Sanders, who I love and who I, I voted for in, in the twenty sixteen primary. Obviously, I can't. I don't hold that against. Okay, <laughs> I mean, I I voted for Hillary in the in general, of course, you know. But you know, we got we, we're all going to come together in the end. But um, right. but Bernie Sanders, who I love, uh, and by the way, in that and after that uh, primary, you know, he his people did act um, unreasonably, and did did uh, hurt Hillary's election prospects. So definitely got to mention that. But I love Bernie Sanders and. But he called for liberal primary challenges to both senators last year, both senators being Kirsten Sinema in Arizona and Joe Manchin in West Virginia. Right. So, and he's backed off that, um, but what has Bernie got to be thinking to try to, at any point? Because obviously it's it's horrible what Joe Manchin does, but, I mean, it's a, it's a thousand times better than having another... Uh, what is what's her name? Shelley Moore Capital, the other senator from West Virginia. Right. I mean, right. I mean, come on. So, 
what what is what is uh, someone like Bernie Sanders? Uh, obviously, he's upset. It's you know, it's it's his um, labor pick that they're about to deny or or tank her confirmation. So why does someone like Bernie Sanders, uh, but uh, not understand though that it's Joe Manchin and it's still better to have him than Shelley Moore Capito? Well, you know, you know that, that's an excellent question. Honestly, him and Shelley Moore Capito are not that far apart in voting records. Um, but Joe Manchin is—he's the last of a dying breed, and mm-hmm. as long as he's going to give, he's going to vote to make sure Democrats are in charge of the U.S. Senate. Mm-hmm. We kind of stuck with him. What we could do is go and put more money in states like Wisconsin. We could got go put more money in states like North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, put money in Texas for Colin Allred this year. Well, next year for the elections, we could flip one of those seats mm-hmm. and go around Joe Manchin. Then we have to worry about it. I get a, I understand Joe Manchin because, as you said, he is the last blue blue that's in that seat <clears throat> ever, and he is uh, <laughs> he's the last of a dying breed. He is there is nobody replacing them in that seat. That will vote for half of the stuff that he voted for. Exactly. But Kirsten Cinema, on the other hand, we have an excellent candidate in Ruben Gallego, Ruben Gallego, who I believe will be exactly what we need out of Arizona. So it it makes sense for Manchin to be as crotchety as he is. But for Cinema, who's in a state where, that's actually going her direction, and for her to be as as Cinema as she is. <laughs> I don't understand her. She's kind of, it kind of reminds me of Jim Webb, who won that U.S. Senate seat in Virginia back in 06. I was like, okay, you're supposed to be a little conservative, a little moderate, because it's Virginia. Virginia was not a blue state at that point. Mm-hmm. But Virginia was becoming a blue state. And so he didn't run for re-election because he knew he couldn't win. He was going to cost us a seat. And that's what Senate was doing. Well, she didn't, you know, she didn't take the bright idea to actually step aside and let somebody else who could actually represent Arizona step in, she decides she wants to play in everybody's face and gaslight people. And so now she ideally will get another Democratic senator out of Arizona next year who will actually be a Democrat. But also at the same time, we could also, because she's playing games, we run a chance of having a Republican take that seat as well. Right. Yeah. And so see, I, you know, I did mention, I don't get cinema. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, that's exactly the point. And you, you said that uh, Manchin's voting record isn't that much different from Shelley Moore Capito, but. It's 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 a, enough of a difference to really matter, even if, as you said, yeah. he just tips the scale to give us one more Democratic seat and have uh, Vice President Kamala Harris be the tiebreaker. Because when, a, exactly. when, a, when a, the Senate is 50-50, the Vice President breaks the tie in those votes. And so Correct. even if he had a even if he com- voted everything Republican, which he doesn't, though, he you know, he, he doesn't have a good voting record by Democratic standards. But he you know, he's, right. it's, it's just far better than having any other Republican in that seat now. With Kirsten Cinema, I can understand Bernie Sanders calling for a, a liberal challenger, and I agree with you that Ruben Gallego is an excellent candidate, and uh, he has a, a great shot to win. But the fact that it's going to be three people in that race if Kirsten Cinema runs, which I mean I don't know if she would drop out unless you know her poll numbers are really bad, but maybe she would enjoy just spoiling it for the Democrats because she seems to enjoy spoiling everything else for us. So right, I understand calling on a liberal challenger to challenge her and that's what we got and we got a great one but i am very worried about that arizona race and this is an aside but uh what, what do you think about that race with ruben gallego and we don't even know who the republican challenger is going to be it might be someone like carrie lake 
But regardless of who the Republican challenger is, if you have the Democratic votes being split between Ruben Gallego and Kirsten Sinema, then that's going to be hard for, for, for the Democrats to win. What do you think? You know, the crazy thing is, I don't even think she splits the Democratic vote, honestly. Most of the people who are Democrats in the state of Arizona can't stand Kirsten Sinema. She has burned a lot of bridges out in Arizona. And there just aren't that many. The people who love her, the Republicans, they're not going to leave, as we as we see time and time again, Republicans are going to go home at the end of the day. They're not going to support anybody who is not a Republican. And so I think Ruben Gallego in a three-way race, I still put my money on Gallego. Hmm. Um, I think he just he just got he's got the right hand and the state's moving in the right direction. Honestly, President Biden's going to win re-election and he's going to win Arizona on the path to doing it. I just don't see it. I don't see uh, Arizona going for Donald, going for Joe Biden and then also just not at all giving Ruben Gallego a shot. Um, well, yeah, but I mean, we also though. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but also though, I mean, um, it, it's not guaranteed that Joe Biden would win as much as I want that to happen. Especially, but you got you right. have all these third party candidates threatening to jump in and jumping in, you know. Especially if Joe Manchin jumps in, and you know, what do you what do you think about since we're just going down this path? We're going down the rabbit hole at this point, but um, right. I'm just curious what you think about, uh, you know, so if someone were like Joe Manchin were to get in the race as a third party presidential candidate. I I hope that the American people are a little more sophisticated, but I don't know why I keep hoping against hope that they are more sophisticated voters. But, you know, we know how the system works. If you vote for a third-party candidate that isn't actually winning any states, they're just polling up at 25% of the vote, mm -hmm. you're going to cause somebody who could win to lose. Right. That's, we, have a, we don't have a two-party system, but we have a de facto two-party system. And so people like Joe Manchin, even though I don't think Joe Manchin's actually going to pull the trigger, he just loves the – he's a very, very – the most dangerous place in the world is between Joe Manchin and the camera. <laughs> and so the fact that – he's not going to pull that trigger. He's going to run for re-election, and then he's probably going to lose. Hmm. But the problem that we run into is that if Joe Manchin was to somehow actually do it, you also have uh, Cornell West. Mm-hmm. Planning to run for the Green Party. Mm -hmm. We know the Green Party is not going to win. We know this, right? But he's having off enough of those votes where it matters. States like Wisconsin. Well, that's my point. Like Ohio. That's my Florida. point. Mm -hmm. And it's a problem. I hope, I pray that people are smart enough not to do 2016 again. I I really lost a lot of faith in the average voter mm -hmm. in 2016 for them to actually pull off Donald Trump as president. And y'all really thought this was acceptable behavior. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we have to run the campaign. We can't focus on other candidates. There's one candidate in this race that's going to protect reproductive rights. There's one candidate in this race that's going to make sure women have their full rights as U.S. citizens. There's one candidate in this race that's going to protect the LGBT community. There's one candidate in this race that has picked a black woman to be vice president of the United States and a, and a, a woman to be chief, the, uh, the naval chief and a mm -hmm. black secretary of defense, and a black joint chief of staff. Supreme Court and justice. served as vice president and has experience. And a black Supreme Court justice is a black woman. There's one candidate that has done the job and done it well. Now, he may not be the youngest person on earth. Who cares? 
He's doing what we need him to do. Right. He's protecting the United States. He's making our allies safe. He's rebuilding our economy. He's made 13 million new jobs in this country. I don't care if he was a thousand. <laughs> He's doing what he needs to do to be president of the United States. He's earned my vote. I'm going to make sure I get him. I'm going to do everything I can in my power to make sure he gets reelected. And that's Joe Biden. I'm with you on that one 100%. When we come forward, we are going to get into our Friday segment, What's in the White Entitlement? Uh, right here on KBLA Talk 1580. It's the Friday edition of Ariva Martin in real time. Avi Bernard joined by Chris Walton, former chair of the Democratic Party of Milwaukee County. And it is time for our Friday segment, What in the White Entitlement? It's white. All right, so this is a this is a, a Karen attack right here. It's a woman on a train, white woman on a train, who is caught on video in the aftermath of a racist tirade. Let's uh, let's uh, let's hear the clip. This smells like feces eaters, doesn't it? Say hi why, to TikTok. Why somebody's got a problem? Say hi to TikTok. Racist number one. Yup. Say it louder for her. You're ignorant. I don't sexualize children. That's ignorant. <laughs> and we do. Yeah. And I we do. Say, I didn't say you did. Must have a guilty conscience. Enjoy the white. Like you sat next to us. Talk to them like that. I didn't like were they talking? What were they? Was she saying stuff she to was you? So racist. Yeah. Yeah. Ignorant You're remarks. Get off the train. I said I, get off of the I train. said I don't sexualize children. I'm not getting off the train because you need I to get off of the train. You can't talk to the passengers like that. I'm not talking to anybody. I'm looking out the window. Every person in this car said that you were talking to them right that way. No, I don't know every person in this car, so I don't know the problem. You need to get off <laughs> right of the train. So there's just so many funny things about that clip. I mean. She says, well, I didn't say anything. Well, first of all, we got you on camera calling them feces eaters, okay? And she's talking to two Muslim women. This is a white woman on a train. And then she said, well, I didn't say anything. This is, this is the white privilegeist thing of all to me. When people heard you say it, we got you on camera saying it, but you're going to say, no, I, I didn't, you're going to go full shaggy and just say it wasn't me. When we all saw you do it and say it. And that's why you got kicked off the train. And that is, see, and that's the white privilege that people need to use more of. That's what we need to see, that the, the conductor was a white man. And he came up and said, uh, no, ma'am, that's not acceptable. Get out. And so this is this is what the main thing, I think, that it has been the result of the, the Trump presidency. I mean, people always are going to deny what they do uh, when they're caught. But with Trump... It's video evidence, uh, audio evidence, indisputable. You're still going to say, I, I, I didn't do it. And that's what all, uh, all the people who, who believe similarly to, to him do these days. Uh, but uh, Chris Walton, it's always a pleasure to have you. Where can we find you uh, on social media? Always a pleasure. I mean, Chris Walton, MKE on Twitter. Be happy to have this, continue this conversation. Always a pleasure having you. Have yourself a great weekend. We will talk to you soon. You as well. Take care. All right. Peace out. So when we come forward, we are going to be talking to uh, L.A. Times columnist Erica Smith about her article. Uh, is, 
is Black Lives Matter reaching the beginning of the end. And we're going to talk to her about some other topics as well. But uh, a fantastic writer, and she has a take that I know uh, a lot of people didn't quite love. But is, is, she, is she right? That's the question. And we're going to talk to Erica when we come forward right after this news, traffic, and sports update on KBLA Talk 1580. And it is the Friday edition of Ariva Martin in real time. Avi Bernard with you every Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific, whether you are listening on 1580 a.m. in Los Angeles on the free KBLA app on KBLA1580.com or you're watching on YouTube. We are with you. Let me get you caught up. Students at Florida public schools will now learn that black people benefited from slavery because it taught them skills. This change is part of the African-American history standards the State Board of Education approved at a Wednesday meeting. The public testimony period lasted over an hour with most of the people in attendance objecting to the adoption of the standard. Paul Burns, the chancellor of K-12 public schools, who is black defended the standards, denying that they referred to slavery as beneficial. Burns said, quote, Our standards are factual, objective standards that really teach the good, the bad, and the ugly, close quote. Jaguars assistant strength and conditioning coach Kevin Maxson has become the first male coach in major American men's professional sports to publicly come out as gay, telling Outsports.com he made the decision because he didn't want to hide who he is any longer and to possibly inspire others in similar situations. It's a decision and move that drew praise and support from owner Shad Khan, who was a vocal and emphatic supporter of a city ordinance that expanded protections on the grounds of sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. Tony Bennett, one of the most beloved and recognizable voices in the history of American music, died today at 96, less than two weeks shy of his 97th birthday. Bennett died in his hometown of New York. A cause was not immediately disclosed. In an era when most white entertainers stayed on the sidelines, Bennett marched for racial equality and resisted apartheid. When artist and activist Harry Belafonte called Bennett and asked him to join the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.'s voting rights march from Selma to Montgomery in 1965, Bennett accepted without hesitation. In recent years, even as his velvety voice found resonance with a new generation, he privately faced a cognitive disorder. In February 2021, his family said in AARP magazine that Bennett had Alzheimer's for the previous five years even though he still managed to record more music. Bennett won 20 Grammys and two Emmys over the course of his 70-year career. The on-again, off-again standoff between two Senate centrists, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, and the Democratic Coalition is back on. The two appear to be tanking Bernie Sanders' preferred pick for Labor Secretary Julie Sue. Sanders called for liberal primary challenges to both senators last year, but has taken... A more hands-off approach to cinema and Manchin in recent months. Manchin is flirting with a third-party presidential bid that many Democrats fear could derail real, uh, Biden's re-election while savaging the administration's environmental policies and routinely voting against Biden's nominees. Cinema has angered progressives on multiple occasions in the past, including her positions on taxes, minimum wage, and the filibuster. Cinema left the party and became an independent last year. Georgia State Rep. Misha Maynard is one of the newest members of the GOP. 
It's a trailblazing feat, making her the first black Republican woman to ever serve in the state's legislature. Maynard was first elected in 2020 to deep blue Fulton County. It's such a Democratic stronghold that she ran unopposed in the last two general election cycles. But she's not going to be running unopposed next year. Even before her party switch, Democrats were already making moves to pry the seat away from her. And finally, President Joe Biden will meet with the CEOs and presidents of seven of the largest AI tech companies today to mark a non-binding agreement that will govern how artificial intelligence is developed and released to the public. Amazon, Google, Meta, and Microsoft are among the companies who agreed to a set of eight rules today, which include external testing of AI systems before their release, investing in cybersecurity protection for unreleased models, and using a watermarking system for AI-generated content. When we come forward, we are going to be talking to Erica Smith of the LA Times in her column that is titled, After 10 Years, Is This the Beginning of the End for Black Lives Matter? Erica, Time, Erica Smith is a columnist for the LA Times, and we're going to get her thoughts on that subject and talk to her about her article right here on KBLA Talk 1580. And it is the Friday edition of Ariva Martin in Real Time. Avi Bernard here with you, and I am always pleased to be joined by L.A. Times columnist Erica Smith. Erica, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate your time. I know you're you're trying to go on your way about your weekend, and these, these pesky <laughs> uh, radio people want to have you on the show because because you're just such a good writer. So it's uh, I know it it must be it must be really really uh, difficult, but I appreciate you taking the time anyway. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so I want to talk about your article. Um, it came out July sixteenth. Uh, today is the twenty first, and so yeah. um, you you um, were at the Black Lives Matter tenth anniversary, and the column is titled mm-hmm. "After Ten Years: Is This the Beginning of the End for Black Lives Matter?" And I just um, I want to start by just kind of reminding people that. Black Lives Matter is kind of undergoing a, a lot of changes right now uh, with Black, uh, Black Lives Matter grassroots and then the corporate entity. Can you just ex- ex- break that part of it down before we kind of get into the conversation? Sure, sure. I mean, I think that a lot of people, I mean, myself included, but think of Black Lives Matter as just a movement. And it is. I mean, obviously, we've seen uh, the protests, we've seen the, you know, the policy proposals, we've seen the kind of the, the thinking behind it. But, you know, also Black Lives Matter is also a nonprofit organization that um, was founded or the organization itself was created not long after George Floyd was killed as a organization to kind of accept donations uh, as people have um, give, gave them, you know, corporations and people after George Floyd was killed. But, you know, it also is um, a series of chapters, um, some of which are affiliated to that nonprofit, some of which are not. Um, and so the organization that represents, I would say, probably a good chunk of the chapters, at least around 30, so a little, little over 30, is called Black Lives Matter Grassroots. And so those two organizations, both the foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that uh, has an entity under the IRS, and the Black Lives Matter Grassroots have been in a little bit of a dispute um, for the last several months, um, one of which um, kind of escalated into a lawsuit in which Black Lives Matter Grassroots, which again is the chapters, mm-hmm. sued uh, the nonprofit foundation. Um, uh, for a series of reasons, but um, that dispute has kind of really cleaved the, at least in terms of the organization, independent of the broader movement, but obviously related, kind of into um, in terms of fundraising, in terms of um, you know attention, in terms of 
of many things. And so that's kind of been the, the, the latest iteration of a lot of what Black Lives Matter is undergoing. And of course, these organizations are not the movement in and of itself, but they are, of course, related to the movement. Um, and so that's kind of the, the quick, quick and dirty summary. Right. So how, how did the foundation, how did the foundation kind of, uh, go, uh, I guess, go rogue? I mean, you know, how, how, why is it that the, uh, why is it that the grassroots, uh, that Black Lives Matter grassroots, um, I guess, is not, is not the same entity as the Black Lives Matter Foundation? Well, that's also complicated, but the short answer of that is that um, after um, 2020, which is a pivotal year, as I think most people know, for Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. um, the foundation was created um, to kind of really scale up to meet the the moment, so to speak, as Gavin Newsom would say, um, on donations, because the the movement of the organization got about $90 million in donations, didn't really have the staffing or the um, nonprofit infrastructure to handle that. The foundation was there, um, you know, but there was, you know, once and Patrice Cullors, who's one of the, the considered one of the three founders of Black Lives Matter, um, was overseeing that. But when she stepped down, other entities, other people took charge of that. And that, I think, it was a, bi- a big step in this kind of schism that we've seen is that members of Black Lives Matter grassroots don't really see eye to eye with members who are leading uh, Black Lives Matter Foundation. And, and that kind of precipitated a lot of this dispute that we've seen that's culminated in the lawsuit. Okay. And is, is that schism, as you described it, is that why uh, you're asking this question about uh, whether it's the beginning of the end for Black Lives Matter, or is it something deeper than that? Well, I mean, I think that's part of it, for sure. I mean, but honestly, like, one of the reasons I asked that question is because when I started doing interviews, or we're talking to people about this column, and which I should say predated the actual anniversary of Black Lives Matter predated the, the celebration that happened um, uh, last weekend in the park, in Lamert Park. Um, I got a lot of the same questions people were asking, you know, is this kind of the end? Is this, you know, what is Black Lives Matter doing? Is it plateaued? Is it, does it have the same reach that it did? And I talked to so many people who all said some version of the same thing. And, you know, I, I try to go into my columns and thinking about these things and what, where people are in terms of headspace and what they're thinking about things. But I was really kind of surprised with the number of people who, had that thought. And so that's kind of what led me to kind of take that, that angle, as we say in journalism, um, for that column. And so uh, we do have a question from a listener who wanted me to ask you, uh, if the editor selected the title of your article or did you select it? I selected it. It's not always the case. And and I want to preface this by saying it's not always the case for me or for any other journalist at the LA times that the, that the reporter, um, gets to kind of select the title or, or headline, as we call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, it, it was me. Okay, got you. Uh, so you, you said that, is this when you were just out at the 10-year anniversary where people were ask, kind of asking you, is, is this the beginning of the end, or is this b- before that even? This is before that even. I mean, I, I you know, I, Black Lives Matter is something that I've, as an organization, as a movement, that I've covered. This is not the first, you know, column that I've written on it. It's not the first, when I was a news reporter, it's not the first news story. This isn't the first city that I've covered it in. So I've been following the ups and downs of what's been going on. And so, like, you know, the question that came up about the future of this movement is not something that just, you know, arose at this event. Though I did hear a few people mention that they didn't really want to talk about it on the record. Um, But you know, there were a lot of people that for several months I've been hearing this question in various different ways in various different formats. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where it came from. So this is like, this is just 
me being out and about, me talking to people both in a formal interview setting um, and also in a kind of a non-interview, just conversational kind of way, um, which I do quite a bit. Okay. And and you were able to, uh, at least recently, uh, I think, talk to Patrice Cullors, um, talk, mm-hmm. talk to Sabrina Fulton, the mother of Trayvon Martin. And mm-hmm. what was the vibe that you got from them when, when speaking to them? Did they... Is, did you kind of ask them or, or mention that to them about what people were saying to you about, you know, it, is it the beginning of the end or did they kind of allude to that in any way? Well, I, I don't think that, you know, I didn't, you know, with Patrice, I did talk to her, um, you know, prior to the anniversary. I guess it was actually probably during the week of the actual anniversary. And, and she, you know, she is very much outside of the movement now. She's, mm-hmm. you know, stepped down or stepped away. And so I, I think that she, this is my own interpretation of our interview, so don't you don't hold me to a quote. Okay. But I think she's kind of doesn't want to say like this is what Black Lives Matter should do, this is what Black Lives Matter shouldn't do. I don't think she's really in that um, in that uh, in that headspace. But I do think that she wanted to she had thoughts about you know what's happened so far and just kind of marveling at the fact that as an organization they've made it this far, given the fact that so many black led organizations and historically have not made it for various different reasons, white supremacy being chief among them. Um, so, you know, she was, I think, a little bit hesitant to talk about, you know, <laughs> what the future may hold or, or all of these other things. I think um, Sabrina Fulton, who's, of course, uh, Trayvon, mother's, uh, Trayvon Martin's mother, you know, also was very, you know, I don't think she was really like saying like the movement's going to die or whatever. I think she was very much seemingly very grateful for the um, support that she has received from Black Lives Matter and from activists. Um, and, you know, really wanted to come out in, and come to L.A. to show that continued support and, and to show that she's still behind them in whatever format it would take. Um, so that's kind of what the sense that I got from both of them and talking to them and particularly from hearing um, what Sabrina said at the at the event in Lumert Park last weekend. And you mentioned that a lot of black organizations don't make it this far uh, in part because of white supremacy. And you also mentioned in the article that. Uh, maybe part of the reason that Black Lives Matter is declining is because of racism being normalized by far right, uh, by far right, far right Republicans. Uh, can, oh, can you get into that a little bit? Why? Do, why would uh, racism from Republicans uh, have an effect on Black Lives Matter? Because isn't that what kind of what they're fighting against anyway? No, I mean I, I think what I meant by that is that I think that you know the questions about Black Lives Matter that people are having are happening simultaneously as racism is being normalized um, by, you know, people in Congress, by, you know, people with big megaphones. I don't necessarily know if one is actually the cause of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, um, I do think that the fact that racism is being normalized and seemingly in a very strategic fashion, it's not like this is not haphazard, you know, this is not accidental that you have so many um, people on the Republican Party ticket kind of elevating far-right extremism rhetoric that's racist and transphobic and homophobic and, you know, you name your, your phobic, um, and, or your ism. Mm -hmm. And, but I do think that it is, you know, it's in some ways a response to the success of Black Lives Matter, I think, personally, that that it's had, that, um, it's the backlash, right? Um, and I think that, but I think that that adds to the uncertainty and I think I would say the unease among a lot of people I spoke to about, um, the future of Black Lives Matter, because they see the, you know, this, the controversies that have hit the movement in, in recent years, and they're worried, I think, that, you know, that we don't have 
the organizational ability to kind of withstand that this kind of all assault on all fronts mm. um, that in that way, if that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, no, that does make sense. You know, we had Chantel Allen on the show on Wednesday, um, and she is the co-founder of Black Lives Matter Twin Cities in uh, in Minnesota. And so, and I, I even mentioned this article to her, and she said, what do you think about that? And she said, well, you know, I think it's, it, the movement is the most important thing, and whether there's an organization or not, the movement is going to keep evolving and because the movement is always going to be needed. The struggle is, is still here and the movement is going to be necessary as long as it's going to be necessary. And whether or not it's called Black Lives Matter or something else, then we're still going to be doing, we're still going to be in the work and, and doing the fight. Uh, what, what do you think about that? No, I think that, I think she's right. I mean, I don't think that, you know, that, that is also the sense that I got from a lot of people that I spoke to. I don't think anybody is saying, that Black Lives Matter is going to go away completely. I mean, I think in the same way that we still say black power and raise our fists in the air, mm-hmm. you know, years after the black, you know, the Black Panther movement or Black Panther Party has kind of gotten past its prime and its activity. I don't, you know, people remember that the party existed and what they did, and it's been kind of reincarnated in, in future movements. So I don't think that in that way the Black Lives Matter is going to go away. I think the question is, uh, is how potent it's going to be, how relevant is it going to be? Are we, you know, I, I think there's real questions and maybe it's an unreasonable standard to say that we should be able to recapture what we had in 2020. Maybe that's just not possible. Um, and so I think there's just, I don't really know if there's really any answers per se, which is why I think that headline had a question to it mm-hmm. where people are saying, this is what's going to happen. I think it's just a lot of questions and a lot of unease. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned the Black Panthers. Uh, you know, I, I think about the Black Panthers sometimes and how they were attacked by the FBI and, uh, and and uh, I guess uh, in, intentionally misunderstood by some and and genuinely misunderstood by others uh, mm-hmm. when, when they were just trying to try, try to protect black communities and uh, when, when we didn't have any protection and, and now you know sometimes people uh, people look back at them not black people but, but others and especially some of the racist conservatives that you mentioned and say oh, they kind of look back at them as a, a terrorist organization and organization that was dangerous and that needed to be put down uh in and i'm not asking you to uh you know to get into that aspect of the black of black panthers as, as much but my question is in the time that you've spent covering black lives matter as you have in multiple cities and over a long period of time do you think that the way the black panthers are viewed now by some on the right is the way that black lives matter is viewed or will be viewed in the future. No, absolutely. I do think that I absolutely think that that's going to be, I think it's already probably true. I mean, we've seen the way, you know, people on the right have moved to discredit black lives matter and discredit the work that's been done um, in various different ways. Uh, And, and the people who are, founded it and people who are most representative of it of their face there's been a definite you know concerted effort to do so and we saw that with the black lives matter i mean sorry with the black panther party in the past and so there's no reason to think that 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 cycle so to speak won't be replicated um which i do think adds to the fear anybody who knows their history i think is fearful that what we saw in the past will happen again and and so you uh in in the article you 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 have a picture of 
uh, the stage and with with not that many people there. But then later on in the article, you say that it kind of picked up as as the event went on. Did it by the end? Did it seem like it was uh, like a lot of people there and and like an event that had like a uh, a good attendance to it? I mean, it definitely there were hundreds of people there. I mean, I don't know what the expectation completely was. I, and I think even uh, Melina Abdullah, who's head of Black Lives Matter grassroots earlier on, mm-hmm. when it started, commented on the, the smaller crowd size. And I think Chuck D, who was on near the end, also made some kind of passing comment about, you know, about the size of the crowd. But, you know, mm-hmm. we're not <laughs> Donald Trump talking about sizes of crowds. But I do think <laughs> that, <laughs> but I do think that, you know, I, I think it could have been bigger. But, I mean, you know, it also was particularly hot on that Saturday. But I do think that as, yeah, particularly as the day went on, people started to show up and care. And I don't think it's about, but I don't know. I think it's just, you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, it's, it's, this isn't 2020. I don't think there's any way we can spin it to say that this is 2020. And so, you know, the question is, how does the movement move forward or to stay relevant or does it move forward or what are the priorities? And I think that compared today in 2023 compared to 2020 or maybe even 2013, there are a lot more opinions and ideas about what Black Lives Matter should and should not be. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> a lot of people got opinions. And not all opinions are good. I, I say that as an opinion column, not all of my <laughs> opinions are good. But, <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot more opinions and people have a lot more thoughts on it now. And so I think that also plays into this, and that everybody thinks that, you know, they should have something. Yeah, and... and uh my my engineer Andy brings up a good point you know um and I know this is something that you were investigating as well uh that the Juneteenth celebration took place uh in the Murt Park uh just a few weeks ago and and there were you know uh perhaps some stampedes and people getting hurt or worried about getting hurt and do you think that maybe people were a little bit afraid to come out because of that recent event Oh, that certainly could have played into it. I, I definitely think what happened on Juneteenth freaked some people out, people who aren't used to coming necessarily to Limerick Park for events. Um, you know, that, that event drew so many people. Uh, so, uh, and a lot of people who aren't used to really, you know, hanging out in Limerick Park. And so who knows? I mean, I think that maybe played a part in it. Also, South L.A. Pride was also the same Saturday at the same time. So there's, mm. there's many factors, I'm sure, that played a role in who showed up and who didn't show up. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, Erica Smith, um, is, is there anything else that you wanted to, uh, last question for you, that you wanted to uh, kind of uh, get across uh, that we haven't that we haven't mentioned yet uh, here in this conversation? No, I mean, I think the, the big biggest thing is that, you know, I feel like, you know, while Black Lives Matter is, again, organizations, right? But it's also a movement. And I think the movement is something that belongs to all of us. And, and I think that... Um, you know, I don't think that people having ideas about what the movement should and should not do is, I don't think that's a good thing. I think it's a bad, I think, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing because I think it shows interest. I think that shows that people care. Um, and we care about the lives and the advancement of and the progress of black people. And the fact that this conversation is happening, the fact that when I was talking to people, people had thoughts, you know, like that makes me feel good because yeah. in the society so much, we're so, people are so disconnected from what happens. Mm-hmm. And the fact that people, we're informed enough to have opinions that that's a good thing. And I hope that people don't take away that column or maybe future discussions is a negative. I, I think it's a positive. Totally hear you. Uh, and how can we keep up with you online? Um, Twitter. I'm still on it. <laughs> Erica, uh, Eric, uh, R-I-K-A underscore D underscore Smith. I'm also on threads, same name. Uh, those are probably the easiest ways to keep up.
I was going to ask you if you're on threads. Thank you for answering that. I am on threads. (laughs) I'm trying to figure out how to use it the right way, but yes, I'm on it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us, Erica. Enjoy your weekend. Always good to talk to you. All right, you too. Thanks. When we come forward, I am going to be doing a solo preview of the Women's World Cup. Should you care? I think you should. Maybe you still don't. Right after this news, traffic, and sports update on KBLA Talk 1580. It's Avi Bernard with you on the Friday edition of Ariva Martin in Real Time. So pleased to have you here with us, whether you are listening on 1580 AM on your radio, whether you're listening on our KBLA app, whether you are watching us on YouTube. If you're watching us on YouTube, you might see that I have my SAG-AFTRA shirt on. I'm not sure if you can you can see the whole thing, but it, sa- it says SAG-AFTRA strong. I was at the protest earlier this week and continuing to push that movement forward because it is vitally important. And we as I'm a member of SAG and we as not only actors, but members of every union, we have got to be aware of our conditions and we have to fight for the best conditions possible because if it weren't for unions, then workers would still be getting treated horribly. And they are treated horribly in many cases where unions are not present. I mean, look at Amazon. Amazon workers, they are have been trying to put together unions and we see the 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 conditions they have to work under. And we we enjoy the comfort, the convenience of having Amazon deliver us everything. I look on, if I need something, it used to be, okay, well, should I go to Target to get this? Should I go to the grocery store? And obviously, you still need to go to the grocery store to get, you know, some, some cold items. But other than that, you can even get most things that you get at the grocery store from Target or, or from Amazon, rather. There have been multiple instances where something I loved was discontinued from Trader Joe's or... Uh, Sprouts or Ralph's or whatever, whatever grocery store you go to, sometimes things get discontinued. And in every instance, I've been able to find that thing on Amazon and get it delivered straight to me. So I know that's quite the aside, but I'm only mentioning that because I have on my SAG After Strong shirt because I am a proud member of SAG After and I do want to continue to draw attention to that cause as we continue to strike. We continue to strike every day because uh, they're trying to play us. And as uh, one of my favorite uh, all-time artists, Prince, said, oh, I can't be played. Someone who tries to play me plays themselves. And so they are definitely trying to play us. They're trying to they're trying to make it so that background actors, and I, in case you don't know how, it, how that kind of works, I used to be a background actor. And so you kind of show up on set. You're, you're there for an indeterminate amount of time. You don't know how long you're going to be there. It just depends on when they're done. You might be there a few hours. You might be there 16 hours. And you don't get paid very much. I, back when I was doing it, it was like 8 bucks an hour. And I, I'm not even sure if it's any better now. I, I stopped doing that extra work a long time ago, in part because they don't treat you very kindly in a lot of cases. So what they wanted, what they want to do with background actors, uh, these uh, the AMPTP, uh, the, the producers of all the, the the producers that represent all the studios, what they want to do with all of the background actors is be able to 
once they have them in their show or movie, scan their image and then be able to use them as an extra in perpetuity. That means forever. That means someone like me who used to do extra work. And let's say I am doing movies in the future for $10 million a pop, right? They, if that stipulation had been in place and they were able to scan my image, that means they're able to then, no matter where my career goes, they're able to continue to use me as an extra in their films for free. Other than the initial payment they gave me, which I'm sure would not have been a lot. Forever. And that's just a horrible idea, but also it's insulting. And so not only would that be like unpaid, unpaid use of my name, image and likeness, but that would also be hurting my coins for what I'm doing now. Because if you can see me as an extra in any movie that you that that pops up, why are you going to give me $10 million or why are you going to come see me in a, a as a lead role? And so those are the kind of proposals that they're putting forth. They're super petty. The studios are being super petty. Uh, I forget which studio it was, but they the protesters were walking outside, uh, protesting and holding signs and stuff. And it's been hot this week. And so protesters, protesters have been protesting in the heat. And they were using a, a tree for some shade, as people do. That studio cut the tree down. They cut down the tree the protesters were using. And they tried to say, oh, you know what? No, we were, we were going to cut that tree down anyway. That was, that's already something we were going to do. We had to cut that tree down no matter. We, that, that, we, that's something that was on our schedule. Wrong. As, as I say, as the late, great Charlie Murphy said, wrong. Because it turns out they hadn't cut that tree in years. And they got fined by the city for cutting that tree because they weren't supposed to cut that tree. But they cut it because they didn't want the protesters to have shade. I mean, come on. You want to act like you're not a big evil corporation and you're you're cutting you're taking people's shade away? What is that? How can you even pretend to be on the worker's side if you're going to to take away their shade? That's like some Republicans uh not allowing people to pass out water and voting lines type stuff. We're supposed to be talking about the World Cup. We're going to get there. But I just had this thought, okay? So I'm wearing my SAG after shirt. I wanted to share it. That is, that is like cartoon villain type stuff that the, the studios are doing. And so when, if, you're, if you're not sure about what side to be on, you're like, I don't really know what this is about. I'm just telling you. This is the kind of people that the actors are dealing with. Andy, I know you had a thought. What's up? More more like a question. First okay. off, them cats are real petty mm-hmm. for doing that. Um, you know, you as a SAG member, mm-hmm. I'm curious to know, you know, the, the great philosopher 50 Cent, <laughs> who uh, disappointed a lot of people who uh, listened to Nas' album. Anyways, um, he once said one time, I think he was talking about real estate, talking about his business endeavors or whatnot. And he was talking about how um, during the uh, during the situation with the real estate, I forgot what happened. Uh, the bubble of 2008. The recession, the recession, mm-hmm. right? 
how a lot of people, you know, they're they're selling and this, that, and the third. Mm-hmm. And he used to always say that, you know, in 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 moments of of chaos, I see opportunity. Mm-hmm. In this moment right now, within this strike as a SAG member, do you see any form of opportunity? And I ask that question because I look at, you know, it's 2023 now. Everybody's pretty much broadcasting like on YouTube. I think about Issa Rae, right? She kind of got her start. Off a you like a YouTube series. Yeah, her, Could, her she had a series called Awkward Black Girl that turned absolutely. into uh, the smash hit series on HBO called Insecure. Boom. So with that being said, could this be an opportunity for the actors, for the writers to, I don't know, create something on their own, and you know, create, I guess, new leverage to a degree. Like, look, look, look at what we're creating. Are you sure you guys don't want to pay us? I'm curious to know if there's any opportunities available. If you want to get involved in the conversation, 800-920-1580. That's 800-920-1580. But that's a great question, Andy. And to answer your question, we are always doing that. Actors are always and writers are always producing our own stuff. As I mentioned on the show, I'm producing my own film right now, but since long before this strike happened, for years now. And that's always the goal is to kind of, you know, even... You have people like Leonardo DiCaprio trying to produce his own film, and it takes him years and years because we're always trying to do that. Is that going to create new leverage? It could. I guess it could because one thing about the SAG strike is you're you're not allowed to do anything that benefits the studios in any way. So not only can you not work on any projects that studios are working on, you can't even talk about the projects that are related studios. That's why for the premiere of Oppenheimer, which was happening in London, the on the eve of the strike, the day the, the strike was agreed to, it was supposed to take place at midnight. It was supposed to start at midnight that night. They moved the premiere up a little bit so that they wouldn't interfere with that strike. The actors still said, nah, player, we're not going to participate in this because we're not going to promote your film anymore. And that film is, is still projected to have you know, a great opening weekend, but... Did it? Did their opening weekend get harmed by the strike? I don't know. But in terms of there being an opportunity for actors and writers to create, I think that there could be. Because if this goes on long enough, Andy, and there is eventually a shortage of content, then if we're creating stuff throughout this time, and, and, and so like I said, you can't work on anything studio sanctioned, but you can work on independent stuff. You can make your own stuff. Uh, and it's always it, it's it's still expensive and it's still time consuming, but maybe there will be more people uh, on the sidelines who are more willing to get invested in that now. And so I think there there could potentially be an opportunity, it, but I think it would have to go on a long time in order for that to manifest. Yeah, I think about, you know, the pandemic, right, and how somebody like a DJ D nice. Right. How he blew up just by going on Instagram, being a DJ. DJ and live, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I think about, you know, verses being created, stuff like that, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and some great, you know, I think uh, pressure builds diamonds and, and great things, uh, certain great things come out of struggle. But uh, I think it just depends with, with movies in particular. They take so long to make it would just have to content would really have to run dry. I think, in order for that to really happen. But I do think that there also, on another level, is opportunity for some actors to maybe get some writers and directors and other actors, like bigger name actors, into their projects that might not otherwise have done it 
because those actors aren't working right now. So if you're getting ready to film or you're getting ready for pre-production and you're trying to get a big name actor in your film or a writer or director attached to your film because obviously that will give you a better chance of making money, then they might be available now and they might not have otherwise been available. So that's something to, to, uh, to consider. And that's a great question, Andy. But when we come forward, I promise you, we are going to talk about the Women's World Cup. You know, it, it, it's the women start their first match against Vietnam in about 11 minutes. So that's why I wanted to get you ready for that. When we come forward, we're going to talk about the Women's World Cup right here on KBLA Talk 1580. And it is the Friday edition of Ariva Martin Real Time. Avi Bernard with you 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific every Friday. Thanks for joining us. I am just becoming aware of uh, some comments in the YouTube chat. And I'm sorry I missed this earlier, but uh, thank you all for hanging out with us. Forrest, Howard, Sarah, and Fahima, of course. Uh, so Sarah says there is no BLM movement. Like, let's be real. Then why are you talking about it? I'm just saying, if it doesn't exist, you just mentioned it. You don't mention things that don't exist. We're on the show talking about it for a reason. Whether you agree with it or disagree with it, and it sounds like you're mad about something. You, you can't deny that the movement has been very powerful and has lasted a long time. Ten years is a long time for a movement that has turned into an organization that has grassroots chapters in many cities. But I digress. I've been promising you some World Cup talk, so let's get into it. The women, the U.S. women's national team, also known, also known as the USWNT, not to be confused with the USM and the US men's national team. They kick off their first World Cup match tonight at 6 p.m. Pacific, which is about six minutes from now, against the nation of Vietnam. And that is probably not going to be a competitive match. But I, I am interested in this World Cup because the U.S. women have accomplished so much on and off the pitch, as they call it. They don't call it the field in soccer. They call it the pitch. It's one of those weird kind of isms they have in soccer. But the U.S. women's national team has achieved so much on and off the pitch. There have been, well, this is going to be the ninth, I believe, Women's World Cup. U.S. women have won four of them. They've won four. There have been 22 men's World Cups. How many have the U.S. men won? I'll give you one guess. If you guessed zero, you are correct. The U.S. men have never won a World Cup. The U.S. women have won four of them. They are making groundbreaking strides in the fight for women's equal pay. They have been fighting for equal pay. They have been delivering on the field and showing everyone why they deserve equal pay and i know a lot of haters say well who wants to watch women's basketball well who wants to watch men's soccer in the united states so women in soccer are much more watchable than men in soccer if you're a fan of united states soccer obviously if you're a fan of like brazil or somebody or argentina uh, on the men's side then you're going to probably be a bigger fan because your team is good u.s men's national team is not good they have had small successes. They made the group stage. Oh, wow. They made the group stage this last World Cup last year. That means you're in the top 16 teams 
for that tournament. So similarly, how the World Cup works, there are eight groups of four. The groups are somewhat randomly selected. And the United States is in group E. There, the, each group has a letter. So there's group A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. The United States are in group E with the Netherlands, Portugal, United States, and Vietnam, who they play tonight. So eight groups of four, that's 32 teams. The top two teams in each group advance to the knockout stage. And the in the group stage... It's a, it's a round-robin style, so you're going to get to play all the other three teams in your group. There's a, Each group has four teams. That means it, each team gets to play the other three teams within that group. And the teams, the top two teams in each group will then move on to the knockout stage. And so in soccer, it's a little different. There are ties. And so if, if someone has equal records and how you determine who are the top two teams in the group, then you have tiebreakers based on goal differential and red cards earned, yellow cards earned, things like that. So basically, which are, you know, penalty cards in soccer. So if you are one of the two teams who advanced to the knockout stage, then you're in the uh, in the final 16. You're in the final 16 teams. And from then on, it's win or go home. And so either you win in regulation or if you go to overtime or extra time they call it in soccer and then you are still tied and then you go to penalty kicks and so i know a lot of times it's like oh there's not a lot of goals you know that's that's true a lot of times in soccer but yo the united states women be scoring that's another reason why it's wonder to watch than the men because they be scoring Maybe putting that ball in that net. All right, and uh, Megan Rapinoe, who is uh, who has been a champion for LGBTQ rights, and she has been an all-time great women's soccer player. This is going to be her last tournament. That's another reason why you should care. There have been fantastic black women on the team. It's another reason why you should care. And soccer could be a really important outlet for us in the black community if we allowed it to be. I'm not a big soccer fan. I'm just thinking about this in terms of why soccer is important or could be important. And instead of all of us playing American football and like I did in college and high school and getting all these concussions, you know, we could play soccer and run around. And it doesn't cost a bunch of money to, to get a bunch of shoulder pads and, and helmets and stuff. And yes, I know there are concu- some concussion issues in soccer, but nothing like like in American football. So I would just, I wanted to bring this up today because the women are getting ready to play in about 41 seconds. All right. Those also, those matches, those matches start on time. They are punctual. It ain't like the NBA where they're supposed to start at 7:30 and start at 7:48. All right. They, them, them matches be starting on time or very close to it. So, you know, cheer on the United States women. And most of them are activists and they are progressive. And it's not like, I know it's, it's, it's hard sometimes. Why, why should I root for the United States when we do all this stuff? You know, they, they be fighting for the same causes that we be fighting for. And so I want to encourage you to, to check out the women. 
Uh, I didn't have time to put my bet in before the match started because I'm here with you. But maybe I'll be able to get it in after uh, this match before the next match. Always appreciate being able to spend this time with you on Fridays on the Friday edition of Ariva Martin in real time.